0: Do you know a woman who is driving positive change, growth or innovation in her organization or community? The 2nd Annual Success Women of Influence Awards are underway. So, whether a friend, a family member or peer give the recognition she deserves. The Success Women of Influence Awards honor, celebrate and empower the extraordinary women whose contributions have impacted their industries and their communities. And the personal and professional lives of those in their world. Visit success.com slash W O I to nominate the women of influence in your life today.
1: The false choice sometimes is like we have to we have to we have to choose one or the other, head over heart or heart over head. No, I think it's a I think it's a question of alignment, right? And I also think that if you're trying to align, it does, it does help to begin with. One of the things that I would do whether or not they objectively succeeded. Get ready for brilliant people, brilliant ideas, and a regular good time. This is Brilliant Thoughts with Success People editor Tristan Almada, the show that thinks about how personalities, relationships, and communication shape business success. And now here he is, Tristan Almada.
0: Today, I'm taking you on a journey to discover more of who you are and what you love. We're going to talk to Sunil Gupta, author of the book, Everyday Dharma, go pick that one up, where we talk about the essence of being you and how you need to show up for yourself daily by doing things that you love, that you know you should be doing. Like if it's writing, then you get to writing. If it's walking, running, playing video games, what is it? show up more for yourself. Sunil Gupta is a great storyteller. In fact, he also co-founded and served as the CEO of Rise. And he's also led and lectured on entrepreneurship at the University of Michigan and been named a visiting scholar at Harvard University. He holds an MBA from Kellogg School of Management and a law degree from Northwestern Law School. So get ready for Sunil Gupta. Welcome back to Brilliant Thoughts, success magazine podcast. And today I've got Sunil Gupta. What's up, man? How are you?
1: Tristan, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me on.
0: You've got another book out and I'm not completely done with it yet, but very impressed. I love the idea behind this. You tell me, when did you start formulating this idea for this book?
1: Yeah, well, you know, the book is on the concept of dharma. Right, and, and Dharma is our—it's our inner calling. It's um, what my grandfather uh, described to me many, many years ago as your essence. It's this thing that is calling out that wants to be expressed, uh, and yet n- there are a lot of us that never get a chance to express that. And when we're expressing that essence, we come alive in a brand new way. Right? We feel creative. We feel energized. And when we're not, we feel depleted. We feel exhausted. Um, so I had been taught Dharma as a as a kid, literally on the on my grandfather's porch in New Delhi, uh, the concepts behind it, what it really means. Um, but you know, as as an Indian American growing up in the United States, I kind of forgot about a lot of this stuff until I was burnt out, until I was exhausted, and I started really searching for like, how do I make sense of everything that's happening right now. That's when I came back to this philosophy.
0: Dude, I, I didn't remember. I didn't finish the book, but I did scan through it. And that <laughs> just kind of, now you're giving me hints of that section where, where you're talking about letting go and taking charge. It's kind of, is that where it came from? Where you're like, dude, I'm burning out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, I think, you know, letting go and taking charge is kind of like, I think, the, the sort of most opposites that I have felt pulled in pretty much my entire life. And when I would go to temple, um, or I would study Eastern philosophy the way that I was taught as a as a kid, letting go was a big part of that, right? How do we let go? But then, as soon as the temple door swung open and I go back into Western society, it was all about taking charge, right? Like you take life by you take life by the horns. And so I I I spent a lot of my life sort of seeing these two things as opposites. You you had to sort of choose one or the other. And in some ways, you might want to can describe it as the path of ambition. Or the path of joy. And so somewhere in my mind, I began to believe that you need to either expand your ambition and shrink your joy, or expand your joy and shrink your ambition. Um, what I didn't leave room for is the possibility that you can you can actually have both. Right. And and I think that the 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 thing about dharma that really reaches me is that it really is this middle way. It's this middle path. And the essence of it is that you know, there are two kinds of success. And you know, Tristan, you talk a lot about success on this show, right? What does success really mean? And one of the things I love about your show is that you're not, you're not sort of saying, hey, the objective thing that we all think about as success is what we should all think. I think you have to figure out what it means to you, right? And mm-hmm. practically speaking, I think there's this external success, which is, you know, wealth, it's status, it's it's money, it's achievements. Mm-hmm. And then there's then there's this inner success right? And that's meaning and that's purpose. And that's a a sense of joy from what you're doing day to day. And you don't have to renounce outer success. You know, the, 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 the way of dharma isn't that you need to give up on your desire to have nice things or to own nice things or to do great things. But what it means is that, you know, I think we all of us sort of come to this point where we realize that all the outer success in the world is not going to make us feel inner success. Right. It's not going to fill up that inner void. You know, yeah. Dr. Tal Ben Shahar at Harvard University calls this the arrival fallacy. Right. And the arrival fallacy is that we sort of somehow believe that one day we're going to reach this moment of arrival. Right. <laughs> we're going to get enough money in the bank. We're going to have enough achievements under our belt. Our, our, our LinkedIn profile is going to be shiny enough that all of a sudden, we this inner void that I think a lot of us feel is just simply going to disappear. And I think at some point in time, we begin to realize that that's not really the case. You know, even if you get the next deal, you get the next business, you get the next startup going, it's not necessarily going to make that thing go away. So, is the answer to to renounce outer success? Is the answer to give up on all these external ambitions? No, I don't think so. I think the I think the answer is to somehow reverse the flow to start with that, what actually makes you come alive, because. But when I go out there and I study, and this is what I've been doing for the past 15, 20 years is studying extraordinary leaders around the planet. I think what 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 they have in common is that they began with inner success. They began mm-hmm. with that thing that made them come alive. And because they were so focused and obsessed and fascinated with that thing, it was almost as ex- external success was the inevitable byproduct.
0: Dude, that's so true, man. It, it, amazing leaders begin with inner success. I love that. That is that is very true. I'm gonna go back to Dharma essence. I love that. I'd never, by the way, I'd never heard that until I started, you know, doing studies on you. I'm like, that is super cool. <laughs> but I thought of a question uh, because obviously we're in we're in a social media world here, right? Yeah. That we're exposed to heavily, and I feel like as I was reading the beginning of your book, I'm thinking this is great, but how do we break through? the world that wants to make us feel like we need to be this person. It's almost like they're telling us who we need to be and that's not who we should be. How do we break through that
1: piece, man? Yeah. Yeah. It it, it seems like it's getting harder and harder than ever before. Right. But in some ways it is a, it is a very, very human primal thing that we're talking about here you know one of the one of the uh, ways that I begin the book is with the story of what of what some people refer to as the great renunciation right so we've we've heard about the great re- resignation but the great renunciation was that you know South Asia mainly India sort of that that area you know it, we're talking about sort of you know first century sort of um you know uh postmodern age and and what we found was that India at that time had about a third of the world's GDP, right? So it was was a flourishing country, a golden time. But the problem was that a lot of people were starting to feel very unsatisfied, right? And this comparison mindset that you're talking about was a huge, huge part of it, right? It it really felt like people were starting to have to keep up with the Joneses. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, there was this big rift in India. And again, we're talking about thousands of years ago where people said, hey, you know, screw this. I don't, I don't want to be part of this anymore. And a lot of people fled their jobs. They laid down their tools. They went to the forest and they went there to basically find a sense of stillness. They wanted to return back to the way things were before, because again, they felt like all this progress that was being made wasn't actually leading to happiness. Mm. But while they were sitting there in the forest, what they kind of realized is like, gosh, I actually miss the world of creativity right? I miss the world of work. I don't miss the grind necessarily. I don't miss the comparison or feeling bad, but I miss putting things into the world. Mm-hmm. And so like, it, it felt like almost a bit of a trap in some ways because the outside world led to burnout and yet the sort of, you know, escapism world led to boredom, right? So wh- which one do you choose? And, and that's where sort of the path of Dharma kind of emerged, which is, which is what are the things that you can do with your life that you find intrinsic value meaning that even if it doesn't outperform the people around you or it doesn't hit the goals that you that you look to hit it still was worth it right yeah but also to recognize that it's actually okay to be competitive it's actually okay to want to hit goals right so long as those aren't the things that were driving you to get involved in the first place right so so for me for example you know, entrepreneurship is a big part of my career. But what I realized is that, you know, I had started three companies, two of them failed. If I look at those two companies that failed, the thing that was motivating me the most, more than anything else, was market size, was Was the idea of being able to hit a financial home run, right? And that was fine for a while because it sort of got me out of bed and it, and it sort of, it did, it did did it did the necessary. But when things got hard, there wasn't a lot of gas in the tank, right? And yeah. so when I started my third company, which was focused entirely on healthcare, I got involved in it because, you know, my dad got sick and I watched him really struggle with his health. There was purpose and meaning behind it. It's not like the same setbacks weren't faced with that third company, but because I cared about it, because there were intrinsic value, right? It wasn't just about just about hitting a home run financially. It was about like we were we were serving people we were helping people and that mattered to me that's when i was able to get through the most difficult moments and that's why ultimately the company succeeded that's so true man that's what
0: we found with a lot of entrepreneurs it's it's that passion they have for something that's that's naturally there and that's what they lead with to create this right and yeah. it's a challenge because most most of the times when you talk to people that that are starting companies they want to know the bottom line first it's like how much am i going to make out of this what is yeah. it so like financially yeah. and it's yeah. it's tough man this is why i love i'm loving your book because it's like hey hold Thank on you. let's let's put the important
1: things first right yeah, i i think that's i think that's right and and to know that like that stuff does not have to be dismissed either right because True. i think that there's also a shaming that you know a shaming effect that i think sometimes we also see on social which is, is that if you but if you want these things that if you're ambitious in some way, that's not a good thing. And that'll cut against somehow your happiness. I don't think that's true. I think I think we have to now start expanding ourselves, especially as people who want to achieve things and, and want to make our mark. I think that's good. I think that that ultimately can be helpful not only to you, but to the people around you. But to do that in a way, like you say, is coming from a source that is not just about getting those things. It's about it's about serving others with those things. It's about doing things that really matter to you. One of the biggest, I think, things that I've learned about Dharma is that, you know, your dharma, your essence is not your occupation. Right. So oftentimes when someone says, Hey, what is your purpose in life? What sometimes we sort of jump to is, well, it's to be a lawyer, it's to be a doctor, it's to be, it's to be in real estate, right? Those are occupations and, and occupations are wonderful, but essence is one layer beneath that, right? Which is like, I want to, I want to, you know, create places. I want to create spaces where people can come together and really enjoy themselves. I want to be able to serve people so that they have better health, right? I want to be able to tell stories, right? These, these are these are sort of, these speak to more emotional sort of, you know, the essence behind what's driving you. And then the way you express that essence can be very different, right? Like Tristan, I know you to be like a great storyteller. Like you, you are you're exceptional at it. And the way that manifests itself has been through these groups that you've built online. It's been through the podcast that you have. It's been through a lot of the media that I see on your website. Like you're expressing that in different ways, right? But when we get locked into an occupation mindset, when we say my purpose is to be a podcaster, all of a sudden we close off all of the other possibilities that are available to us.
0: That's so true, man. And there's a piece to that too. And that's when you tie yourself to a job and all of a sudden you don't have the job. Yeah. Right. That's what we see happen often. And that that and it's the same thing with entrepreneurs. It's like they've tied themselves to this. And what you're saying is like, hey guys, no, no, it's it's cool, but don't tie yourself to this.
1: Yeah. Make yeah. it more about who you're becoming. It's such a good point, man. I mean, I, you know, my parents both worked in the auto industry uh, for over 30 years. And then one day, you know, they both, they both, they're, they both lost their jobs. Right. I mean, and so, you know, I saw this sort of unfold and for my parents, I kind of saw it unfold in two different ways because my mom is one of those who, you know, she's always going to find a way to keep her busy herself busy. Right. And she started a garden. She started spending more time with her mom. Like she just, she knows how to do that. But for my dad, like it was a very different story. You now, he went to the living room recliner and he sort of turned on the TV and and I felt like he never got up. You know, it's just, that's what he did. But there was this really fascinating turn in his life where one day, and this whole, this whole date this whole story, is that this is 2001, he discovered Napster. He was literally watching CNBC and he discovered Napster. and he did, And he heard that you could find any song ever on Napster. And yeah. so he he goes on to like his AOL, or those AOL modems, and he like goes to Napster, and he starts finding all these Indian songs that he loved as a kid, songs he used to listen to in New Delhi, and he and like all of a sudden he realizes that next to each of these tracks is also the karaoke version of these tracks. Oh wow! Right? So he burns them onto a CD. Right? He goes to Costco, buys a discount karaoke player, brings it home. Next thing you know, my mom and him are singing Bollywood karaoke tunes in my living room. Let's he begins see. to invite his friends over to all of a sudden now, every Friday night turns into this Bollywood bash at the Gupta's three-bedroom home in Metro Detroit. Wow! And, and that became his thing. That became his, he became like karaoke coordinator for people who were facing a somewhat difficult time in Detroit in the early 2000s, right? It gave them a sense of purpose. It gave them a sense of joy and community and, and even identity. And you know, for me, it was always confusing because I was like, wow, he went from engineer to karaoke coordinator, right? Like what? Those are two very, very different things, right? But yeah. as I began to peel back the layer, again, from occupation into essence, what I began to realize is that there was a lot of commonalities, right? Like he likes to build things. He likes to make things. He likes to assemble things. And what he was doing with these with these karaoke sessions is he was making things, right? He was hardwiring splitters into karaoke machines. He was assembling spreadsheets. He was bringing groups together. He was collating what people were going to sing and when. Like, it it was really tapping into this essence of like bringing things together, Um, you know. And and so like you know, he never had you know karaoke coordinator on his LinkedIn profile. He never had a business card or anything like that. (laughs) but it's very clear to me. And I think everybody around him that like, yeah, this was like his Dharma. Yeah. I love that. That's so cool. So
0: talk to me about comfort in, in discomfort. Where did that idea come from? That's chapter, that's chapter four.
1: I'm about to get there Yeah.
0: now, but I'm curious, where does that go?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so in, you know, Sanskrit, there, there's a concept called upeka, upeka, um, which is comfort in the discomfort, you know, instead of trying to put yourself in situations that are constantly comfortable in order to live your dharma, you have to somehow be willing to go through the most difficult things as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there is a quote that I'm sure you're familiar with, which is difficult roads to lead lead to beautiful destinations, Right. So sometimes there is a concept or I think a sort of perception that once we're in a sense of purpose, right, it's all flowers, it's all gardens from here on out. Not true, right? I mean, a big part of my sort of career has now been teaching at Harvard Medical School, right? And I teach entrepreneurship there. And I I teach people who are more entrepreneurial thinkers who are coming up through the med school system. And, you know, these are people who are full of purpose, right? They, They love what they do, but oftentimes are very burnt out right? They're burnt out by their work. They're burnt out by serving patient after patient, after patient. I mean, they're, it gets rough, right? So the point being that once you find your sense of dharma, once you start tapping into this essence, it doesn't necessarily mean that things become easy from here, right? And oftentimes the thing that that, that sort of grinds us the most is is really sort of challenges, circumstances, and even other people, right? Like yeah. we're interacting with other people who annoy us or, or, or just seem angry and frustrated, which I think sometimes happens even more now than it did before, right? We're dealing with a lot of emotional turmoil in today's age than we ever have. Right. And mm-hmm. so, um, how do you stay? I think quite one of the biggest questions we can ask ourselves is not just how do we find that thing that matters to us, but how do we stay in that thing that matters to us? Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, like you know, Viktor Frankl has this great sort of way of looking at this, which is you know, and Viktor Frankl was Holocaust survivor, right, and, and a psychologist. And um, you know, one of the things that he sort of said is that the there in between impulse and response, in between something that bothers us and the way you respond to it, is a space, and inside that space is our freedom, right. So the distance between something that bothers you and the way you respond to it is ultimately where your freedom lies. And to me, that that, that that is everything, right? Because you can have all the tools, you can have all the skill you want, but if you are reactive by nature, right? Where every time something bothers you, you're going to respond to it immediately, right? You are not giving yourself the space in order to put those skills and practices and tools into use. So the practice of Upeka, or what I think Viktor Frankl was referring to when he talked about equanimity, is just the ability to sit in that discomfort for a moment, right? Without having to, you know, really force it out of your body or force yourself out of the situation, to start growing just a little bit accustomed to this idea that, oh my gosh, yeah, that really stung, or oh my gosh, I feel really uncomfortable right now. And I don't necessarily have to respond to it in this moment. I can give myself the space I need in order to come up with something that's actually much more thoughtful.
0: Dude, that's um, and I'm pretty sure Upeka was there before, but very stoic, right? Interesting. He, I I didn't even piece those together. I haven't gotten to chapter four yet.
1: So yeah. Yeah. Very much so. I mean, Tristan, like the thing that like is amazing to me is an Indian person of Indian descent living in America is how these concepts that were sort of talked about thousands of years ago can find their echo in the Western halls of science, right? In modern day literature and modern day science, it just, you know, oftentimes we sort of look to what's the most cutting edge way to look at something, right? Mm -hmm. When oftentimes there's just so much wisdom that we have sort of left behind because ultimately it's dealing with the same emotion, right? It's dealing yeah. with the same primal sense of, of wanting meaning. The thing I love about Frankel's work is that like what Frankel was making a case for before he died was that there used to be a point in time, and it was our parents, our, our grandparents that that often thought about money as a path to meaning, right? If you have enough money in your life, you're gonna be able to create enough meaning. What Frankel was saying is that as he was starting to survey young people, and this was this was in the '70s, what he was beginning to realize is that that had flipped, that had reversed. People cared not about—it's not that they didn't care about money, but meaning was the thing that they cared about the most, right? And in some ways, like that trend has continued. Like you look at Gen Z right now, I think they're asking the the tough questions, right? They're asking the questions that maybe even you and I didn't ask as much right early in our career, which is like, well, why, why am I, why am I doing something? Why do I need to do this work? Or why is it that this matters to me on a personal level? Right. Whereas I think like for a lot of our parents and maybe some of us it was like, just shut up and do your job. Right. <laughs> and, and and the reality is like, I actually think they're onto something. Yeah. And the reason that I think they're onto something is like, just put yourself in the shoes of somebody who's coming out of school right now. It's like, look, People are living longer. A lot of the social safety nets, like social security and even healthcare, are not to be taken for granted. We don't know if they're going to be there, which means that in, you know, there is a, there is a almost an inevitable force that's showing that we're going to have to work much, much longer, many more years, right? Before we can sort of quote unquote retire or sort of, you know, hang it up. And so if you're going to be working for, you know, potentially 60, 70 years, asking. What, why does that matter to me on a personal level? I think Mm -hmm. it's a very, very fair question. And if you're not feeling that, right, being able to say, hey, let me continue my search, I think is a very fair request too. Do that,
0: that question, that question changes the way that our future workforce works too.
1: For sure. That's a very
0: powerful question. I never thought of it.
1: And you think about sort of the way that, that AI and and everything else is shaping things, it does sometimes feel like we're kind of really pulling in two different directions. And -hmm. I think coming to a point where we're starting to have an identity crisis around it, right. At both an individual and a societal level, because I think society right now is so focused on the future of work. Right. And we think about the future of work as productivity as as speed, right. As, as, as net gains. But I think there's another body of of yearning here and that is the future of worth right and the future of worth is purpose it's 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 meaning it's like why does it matter to me right so like the other day I I uh, you yeah, have two kids I have, a, I have an 11 year old and a six-year-old and they're on summer vacation right now and I really wanted to take them to the beach and I had a day of writing ahead of me there was an article I really wanted to get out and um so for the first time Tristan I uh use chat gpt I, I i i i was like oh man i really want to like I, I, I need to be more like efficient here so i plugged a i bu- i plugged a bunch of parameters into chat gpt here's the type of article i want to write and all that and it spits out something and i'm like wow i don't want to admit this as a writer but like this is not bad and so i like it's passable so i you know i, I save it onto my hard drive i, I take my kids to the beach and all day I was like, wow, I felt like I really got away with something, right? I felt like I had almost cheated the system, but there was another feeling. And that it was a feeling of like, just unfulfillment, right? Like I didn't feel fulfilled by the day because I hadn't actually expressed who I am. I hadn't expressed my, my work, right? Like for me yeah it would be great if my books are best sellers it'd be great if like they make a lot of money but at the end of the day i'm doing this because if i didn't i wouldn't feel a sense of purpose yeah and you know and plugging a bunch of stuff into ChatGPT chat gpt and having it spit out a result it's not going to scratch that itch and so i think we and i can't i can't imagine that i'm the only one who feels this way i know so many people do right which is like this this yet this this polar opposite pull sometimes we feel between wanting to be productive but at the same time also wanting to have a sense of purpose right and i think that that's that's where we are right now where i think really Mm. each of us is starting to have to make like an individual choice about what what matters most
0: are you ready to supercharge your life and get access to more opportunities than you've ever dreamed of and join me, James Whitaker, in the Win the Day Accelerator. Presented by Success, this entire eight-part program has been created to help you activate your winning life once and for all. You'll gain clarity on your goals and purpose. You'll learn how to quickly overcome challenges, and you'll get proven tips and frameworks that will deliver you big results fast in all areas of your life. So if you're ready to win, join me in the Win the Day Accelerator. To sign up, visit success.com slash WTD. On the productivity side, uh, and this is this is a little bit more like this is a little bit more like raw. But on the productivity side, I think what we miss to talk about—not you, but in general—is that feeling like we need approval. The feeling like we want to be like, dude, we want to be liked. Like, we don't post stuff on social so nobody likes it, right? We want to be bestsellers. Like, I want to be a bestseller. So there's that struggle there, and and I think like sometimes and i know you and i see this when people put out stuff that they didn't write right that they just kind of piece together like you just said and then it blows up and you're like yeah yeah right yeah it's like now now i second guess my purpose my meaning like and then that's where i struggle Mm. with going back to dharma like essence it's like and then it gets convoluted. And then I'm like, "All Katie. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell do I do? So that's like a real yeah. struggle. Right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, let me, I mean, okay, so here's a question I have for you. Like, well, what, because I, I think we, this is really this is really rich material for us. You have had a lot of success in your life, right? I mean, just look at where you are right now. Look at what you've built. Um, when you started to feel some of the, the, the financial success in your life, mm-hmm. how did that change you? What what did that do to kind of your overall level of happiness?
0: It it didn't change my happiness much. It just allowed me to do more of what I wanted to do, which was interesting. Yeah,
1: yeah I, I, I feel exactly the same. It's like, and part of the reason for that, I think, is that you're working on something that actually mattered to you, right? I mean, who yeah. who can answer the question, hey, the reward for doing this work and having it succeed the reward for that is the ability to do more work, right? (laughs) That's funny. That's that's good. That like that, when you're in that loop, when you're in that cycle, you're in the opposite of like a negative spiral, right? You're in an upward uplifting, you know, it, that's something, that's an engine that just continues to spin and spin and spin. You know, you and I both live in Los Angeles, right? And I've always been amazed by like the, the, the sort of, acting, right? People who, people who want to be actors, what is the reward oftentimes for them in order to, in order to like feel like they won is they get more gigs they get more work. Right. Um, and I, you know, and I think that like, again, there's nothing wrong with all the positive benefits and rewards that come along with it. The money, the, 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 the fame, there's nothing wrong with any of that. But I think we both know that if that was the only thing, right, if the reward for you of succeeding was that you got a car, you got a house, like that, at the end of the day, that wasn't, that's not going to fill up your tank to do, to want to do more and more. I see what you're saying. And
0: yeah, I see, now I see, now I see it clearer when you're saying, hey, the generation that we came from, so our parents, when, when you indicated Money created a path to meaning. I totally see that now. Like, yeah, I grew up and was like that was like what made my parents happy. It's like, this is why they chose you need to do this, you need to do this to grow up because we know that money is going to give you that meaning. Yeah. And now it now it's changing. And you're telling me that I got this here that worth and work, they're not diametrically opposed. You can actually do both but
1: there's a there's a better way of doing it and that's what you're getting at yeah yeah no i think i think like you know if 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 future of work is obsessed with outer success future of worth is obsessed with inner success right and you don't have to choose you know it's not a question of choice it's a question of alignment right how do you align how do you align the two i mean if you if we were talking about it at a more spiritual level i think we're talking about head and heart right how do we align the two if you're just if you're just doing things that make your head happy, right? Your mind happy, mm-hmm. you know, there's this missing piece, which is your heart. And at the same time, if you're just following your heart and doing things that don't make sense, you're probably not getting very far. Right. And so the choice, I, I think that the false choice sometimes is like we have to, we have to we have to choose one or the other, head over yeah. heart or heart over head. No, I think it's a I think it's a question of alignment, right? And I also think that if you're trying to align it does, it does help to begin with what are the things that I would do, whether or not they objectively succeeded, right? What is the thing that I would do if I couldn't create an Instagram post about it? What is the thing that I would do if it didn't financially hit a home run, but I would do it anyway, right? Mm. Like Picasso had this great quote, which is the meaning of life is to find your gift. And the purpose of life is to give it away. Right. And I love that. I love that because like, you know, and I don't think Picasso, by the way, was sort of saying, Hey, we should work for free. But what I think he was saying was what are the things that you love so much that even if it was for free, even if it was that you didn't get those external rewards, you would do it anyway. Hmm. I like that
0: too. That's, that's interesting. It's almost like reversing that old saying about, if you if you knew you'd succeed in anything you do what would you
1: do? Well, reverse yeah. it. If you knew you're going to fail, right? That's right. What would you exactly? Yeah. What would you do even if you even if you're sure you're going to fail? <laughs> what would you do anyway, right? Yeah. Like yeah. and I and that's I have a, I, I have a sense I have a sense for you Tristan we would still be having this conversation, right? Probably. Like if this, if this <laughs> that's I, so true. All right. I mean, look, I mean even if it was two views of this of this episode, you and me I have a sense that you and I would still be sitting here and talking.
0: That's true, man. All right.
1: Dude, then going back to
0: essence, I think I think there's a there's a path here I want to take you through, and you give me the answer because when I talk to entrepreneurs, newer entrepreneurs and ones that are burning out, it's it's this it's like, how do we find this? balance between living a life that I enjoy because now, and if they're starting out, they're like, man, I feel like I'm just working so much and I'm I'm not paying attention to the important things. And on the other side, man, I'm so burnt out. I don't know if I want to continue to do this, even though I love it, but I'm, I feel like I'm losing things. So yeah. how do we bring this together?
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, I think entrepreneurship, as you and I both know, is an all in experience, right? Uh, You got to be all in. You got to be all in in order for it to work. But I think we have mistaken the notion of being all in as being all encompassing with every bit of our life. And I don't think that's true either. You know, um, grit and hustle are wonderful tools, right? We need them in order to, I think, do hard things. There's no doubt about that. But somehow along the way, we have turned this notion of grit and hustle from a skill, from something that we can apply into more of a way of life, right? Where Mm. all we're doing is gritting it out and all we're doing is hustling hard. And that's a problem because if you look at some of the, the qualities that we associate with grit, which is like always being on, being relentless, being sort of very, very gritty with the people, but yourself and the people around you, almost tough in a lot of ways, those are some of the same qualities that are scientifically associated with burnout. Right. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. So if you want to go, if you want to go far in one month, mm-hmm. by all means, grit it out, hustle hard. Right. But
0: mm-hmm. if you want
1: to build something durable over time, right. Which great businesses are, you have to find another way. Right. Yeah. One of the chapters in the book that, you know, I enjoyed writing the most is, is, is on the concept of prana, right? And prana is extraordinary energy. So it's prana is a Sanskrit word for this extraordinary energy, right? And, and it came out of a conversation, uh, between Nikola Tesla and Swami Vivekananda, Many many years ago, Vivekananda introduced Tesla to this concept of prana, and it blew Tesla's mind because, as an inventor and as an entrepreneur, he was looking himself personally for a, a new way to think about like how do I drive myself and how do I motivate myself. and And I loved the way that that story unfolded. But what prana really it really is is it's it's a way to think about sort of energy in the long term, right? Because we focus on time so much. Like I feel like every entrepreneur's schedule is like a game of Tetris right you're like you're literally just trying to slide in and squeeze in as much like basically we're trying to optimize the shit out of our schedule every so single true, day man. right right what we what we are missing then is optimizing our own energy right so yeah. yeah we may have gone through the motions of of a full and complete day that was optimized by unit of time but then by the end of the day we feel exhausted we feel depleted what is that doing to our business yeah. right what is that doing to the people around us? So it's a it's a mindset shift from focusing and optimizing for time to mm-hmm. focusing and optimizing for your energy, right? Yeah. And one of the very practical ways as an entrepreneur, I learned how to do this and, and the study of Dharma really helped me with this is through what I call rhythmic recovery, rhythmic recovery, which is that for every 55 minutes of rest, I'm taking around five minutes of recovery. Sorry, if every 55 minutes of work, I'm taking about five minutes of recovery, right? Every hour on the hour, right? And so I'm built instead of relying on vacations or relying on long breaks and waiting into the point that I'm like really burnt out before I actually get some rest. I'm yeah. constantly like repleting myself and constantly kind of renewing myself throughout the day. And I got to say, Tristan, I mean, like when you put this into practice, when I put this into practice and I've helped others do the same thing, for the first time ever, what people are telling me is that they feel as much energy at the end of the day as they did at the beginning of the day, hmm. just by taking these five-minute rests in between.
0: I have a question. Yeah. Because um, this is for me. Uh, yeah. what, what what
1: does this look like? Tell me the five minutes. What It's just chill? It, it can what, be, what is it specific? Can, it, it can be literally anything you want. There's a couple of ground rules. though. Okay. Number one, no multitasking. Right. And okay. it's so funny because when I see people take these five minute breaks, it's like the urge to multitask is so. Dude, I'm going to grab this
0: thing. Right. Gonna exactly. grab <laughs> you're going to
1: grab your phone. You're like, I'm resting, but I'm, but I'm also checking this. I just need to check this real quick. It's going to be take 30 seconds. And I'm, but you're multitasking. This is a five minute monotasking, doing one thing, right? One thing to rest. Right. It could be taking a walk. It could be breathing. It could be doing, it could be listening to a song. It could be dancing. Right. Like I think one of the, one of the benefits of sometimes not being in an office all the times, we can get silly with it. You can lay down, take a five minute nap, right? Like get silly with like, like, but, but, but focus on rest. Right. I remember the first time that I ever saw my grandfather, we'd taken our first, we'd taken our first trip to New Delhi. And I remember walking out on the porch and seeing him just sit there on his porch with a cup of chai. And he was literally just staring at the streets of Delhi as they came alive, right? Like cows, cows on the street, ambling to pasture, rickshaws getting, and I remember I was seven years old. I'm like, why is this scene so weird for me, right? Well, like, what is it about what's happening right now? It's so odd. And I realized it's because like, my life back in the United States was completely different. Like I'm watching my parents like frantically get ready for their jobs in the morning. My dad's got a piece of piece of bagel in his mouth while he's watching the news, tying his tie. My mom's, you know, trying to get me ready for school. And we're doing all these things, right. Everything, but, but, but sometimes literally just like the next time you have a cup of coffee or have a drink, like just, I challenge you to do, to just do (laughs) nothing else, nothing else, but to just literally just sip on that cup of coffee. And compare the way you are when you're done with that glass, when that mug, to the way that you usually feel when you finish your coffee.
0: Dude, this is good, man. You show up better for everyone around you after you do this. It makes sense.
1: That's the thing. I, I think we've looked at rest and recovery as a reward, right? Oh, man, I work so hard, and so I need a rest now, right? What if you were to flip that and you were start, to, mm. you, start you stop thinking about it as a reward for what you've just done? and more about a preparation for what you're about to do. You know, that, that comes from,
0: that seems to come from our schools and just our work. It's like, (laughs) I feel like, oh, you did such a great job at school. It's like, oh, now you can go and play, or now you can go and do your recess or whatever. Same thing at work. Yeah. It's interesting, man. I, I really love this approach on energy. I think that, that's really good, and I enjoyed that chapter because that was the last chapter I read before I went into the yeah <laughs> the chapter four. Which
1: I'm almost there. Yeah. So. No, I think I think I think it's so I think it's so opposite sometimes of the way we've been trained, like you say, and it gets conditioned early. A lot of this stuff, by the way, gets conditioned early, right? Mm-hmm. Like an occupation mindset, thinking about what you want. What were you asked when you were a kid? What do you want to do, right? The, they weren't asking for anything other than an occupation as an answer for that, right? It was, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be, a, you know, I want to be a firefighter. If you said, hey, like, I want to make people feel good, you would have gotten strange looks, right? <laughs> yeah, you would have. Right? But it just shows you how early we get conditioned into some of these things. I think a lot of what Dharma is, is sort of deconditioning us a little bit. It's not necessarily about you know, having to build these new skills, right? But it's more about sort of, in some ways, stripping away the things that are no longer serving us.
0: That's interesting, dude. I think, you know, hearing this out, you're so right about it being an occupation-centric world because when we go to parties, get-togethers, anything, the first question that seems to come out of people's mouths is what do you do for a living? It's not, it's not like it's just that right it's interesting huh and then when you ask people oh you met somebody oh what do they do <laughs> yeah, it's the first thing that people ask yes it's interesting huh. yeah very interesting yeah it it's so ingrained in us i feel like we do need to take a break and be like okay that let's start to rewire ourselves to start thinking differently and then going back to your gen z question <laughs> why do we even why do we even do what we do it's like wait a second here yeah, right? that's good, man. I like
1: this. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, I think another way to say what we're saying here is that like we have sort of been conditioned to believe that what you do is who you are. Yeah. Not true. Right. I think we can all agree that's not true. Yeah. You are something else. Right. Now that doesn't mean that you hang up your job or you stop working or you stop caring. Like I, I think that like, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of people that I talk to in Gen Z right now that are that are lost that are looking for, you know, what are they going to do next? And I don't think any of them for any of the ones that I that, that I've been working with are saying, I want to just stop working altogether, right? I like know. I or I want to stop doing anything. I, I think that they're they're looking for things that have meaning. And I think that there's the realization that like what they do is not who they are dharma is not what you do it's how who you are gets expressed through what you do and so it's 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 really sort of i think you know taking in some ways this 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 deeper level look at yourself of what were these things that actually make you come alive and how are those things being expressed and look you know for a lot of us that that it's not going to require that big a life change to start living in your Dharma. It's not like all of a sudden you have to quit your job and go become a painter in Florence, right For a lot of us we're actually in jobs right now that would allow us to express our Dharma. It's just the way that we're showing up is is not there, right? It's the, the like I, I've, I've worked with people who are you know I, what I think are exceptional storytellers and they then they work in jobs like being a lawyer and being an accountant and part of the work mm-hmm. that that we that we are doing together is actually finding ways for them to bring that essence out a little bit more for a trial lawyer it could be a little bit more storytelling to the jury right even for an accountant trying to convince mm-hmm. a client of a way of approaching their finances there's a there's a less sort of there's a less mind more heart way of approaching that type of work and so you don't have to necessarily quit your job wholesale in order to live you know more of what is your essence you can start your you can start to bring the essence more into where your duty lies today
0: yeah i can totally see that i like that and then when you do that
1: more you feel more fulfilled too for sure so much of this mm. so much of this man is like how we show up like i think for you like i mean you tell me i mean you know have you as you as as like as you have evolved in this work do you feel like your style has changed as well yeah i feel
0: I feel more at peace. Yeah. I I just, I show up happier. I show up uh, definitely more just calm in general, even more than before, which is awesome. And I just, I feel like I've been growing over the years more, like substantially more because I feel like I'm, I'm doing what I, what I enjoy doing. But more importantly, it's like, I also see it helping out so many people. So that's why it really it really resonated with me that that quote that you did by Picasso, right? Yeah. Yeah. Don't don't give it away for free, but I'm saying, hey, look, now you give it. Right. It's like interesting. I like that.
1: Yeah. 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 Cause I think when you can identify that thing, you know, it, it it starts to really just open up your world. Right, And again, like like you and I are both saying here, it's not like you don't have to worry about paying the bills. It's not like you don't have to worry about making a living and taking care of the people you love. But I think when you can start to become more connected, more in touch with these things that we would do, even without the extrinsic reward then we can start to go through the exercise of how, okay, how do I start to kind of now align this a little bit more to my life right now? Right. That could be through hobbies. It could be through, it could be through other work, but again, oftentimes I find that it can happen right through the work you're in right now. There are creative ways to start, to start bringing that in.
0: How do we do that on a consistent basis? Because Mm. like people listening in or they're they'll read your book, by the way, everyone pick up the book every day. Dharma, go pick that one up, or get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, anywhere. But when we start doing this, and we're motivated to get it in, now we're like three months later, four months later. Where where does the consistency, yeah, come from, man? Because it yeah. just it seems to wane.
1: Because because and and that's the thing too is that you know when I was when I was studying people who who sort of were in their dharma, who truly lived their dharma. I was kind of expecting to find stories of people who like wholesale kind of ripped the band-aid off in their life and just went all completely in schedule-wise with their mm-hmm. what their one thing. And I was surprised when I found that that just wasn't like that wasn't the case, you know? You know, Philip Glass who's a composer was also a plumber. Kurt Vonnegut who's the writer also sold cars. You know, I, I yeah. talk a lot about, you know, people, people who were writers who, who decided that like, they were going to start writing part-time that the thing is that I, we sometimes confuse being fully scheduled with being full hearted. And those mm. are two, and those mm. are two different things. Right. I mean, what I find to be really, really important is I look at Dharma a lot like love. Right. Dharma is your loved one. This essence inside of you is something that you love. And look, I love my I love my wife so much. I don't spend every minute of every day with her. That would drive her insane. Right. <laughs> yeah, but, but but we yeah. have, but we what what she and I have a discipline of is making sure that every morning before the kids get up, we're gonna have a little bit of connected time. Sometimes that's little five minutes. Sometimes we do get get a chance to sit down, have a cup of coffee together, and really enjoy each other's company for a good half hour or so. But we know that no matter what, no matter even if date night doesn't happen this week, we're going to end up having that touchstone every day. Right. And that rhythm is so important for our love, for our relationship. And I see your relationship with your essence and your purpose exactly the same way. Right. Which is not like you have this, you have this like lay in bed together all day type of love affair it can literally be that you have this you have these connected moments but you prioritize them you make sure that no matter what every day in some way you have connected with your essence with your purpose and you have told it how much you love it and the way that you do that is through some form of expression right it could be you know if you if you like to write it could be writing one line if you if you are somebody who loves computer programming it could be just spending 5 minutes learning a little bit more about the language right that you're studying but it's it's making sure that you have, that you're treating it with the same rhythm and consistency that you would with somebody that you love.
0: Dude, that's a great explanation, man. That was really well said. I like that. It just, it clarified it a lot more now in all, all verticals. It doesn't even matter. It's like that. that's so key. I think we overthink it. Well, I certainly was overthinking it. And then you just simplified it for me. It's like, oh, if I like writing, then I guess I better show up and write, right? It makes so much sense. Sunil, yeah. where where do people show up for you? Like, where do we go to find
1: more about you? Yeah, thanks for asking. I mean, you can just go to my website, go to Sunilgupta.com. It's S-U-N-E-E-L Gupta G U P T A dot And you know, it, it's got a bunch of material on Dharma on there as well. And you know, I post some I post some clips that might be helpful too. But uh, you know, I mean, I think I think, yeah, I mean, the, the most important thing is like, I want to know. Like, I really like. Figuring out how more of us can can find and live our dharma, and I and I think in a lot of ways start to address this inner void that I think a lot of us sort of feel right now. Is Mm -hmm. it it is that's my life's work. So the greatest thing that you can do is check out the work and then drop me a line and let me know how that's going for you. I like that, man. You'll be hearing from me. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Thanks, man. I appreciate you. Uh, Tristan, this is awesome, man. I, I love your show. I, I love the conversations you have. It's it has such an it has such an openness, and a, and I think a vulnerability as well. You know, you bring your own story into the conversations, but you do it in a way of, hey, I'm learning. Like I'm growing here along the way with you, and um, I love that. I think that's I think it's exactly Thanks, what we need right now.
0: I appreciate that. Thanks, man. Well, I'm a fan now, so there you go. <laughs>
1: Likewise. Those are all the brilliant thoughts that we have for you today. If you like what you're hearing, drop us a review or just tell your friends. This has been a success podcast. Head to
0: success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it.